Are you waiting for everything to be perfect before you decide to enjoy life? Stop waiting. Start living. Welcome to Life in 22 Minutes with Scott and Becky McIntosh, where you will hear inspiring stories from imperfect people living life with courage, humor, and a whole lot of love, despite challenging circumstances to bring hope to your heart and a smile to your face in only 22 minutes. Now, let's welcome the host of the show, Scott and Becky McIntosh. Hello, hello everyone. I am so excited for today's episode to talk about gratitude and finding joy in the simple things. I am a firm believer that real happiness comes from within. This truth was validated again and again in my most recent trip to Kenya. You went to Kenya? I sure did. Kenya, Africa. And Scott, I have to thank you for being such an awesome husband and supporting me in whatever I want to do. Oh, shucks. (laughs) But I must admit that while I was in Kenya, I kept wishing that you were there with me experiencing what I was experiencing. And I was telling everyone, I'm going to be back, and next time my husband will be with me. Well, that's funny that you were wishing I was there because I was wishing you were here. (laughs) Uh, It was crazy. I mean, uh, I was having to do everything. Yes, you were. And I came home with the house still in one piece. So you did a good job. Going to Africa had been on my bucket list for as long as I can ever remember. When I was just a little girl, if someone was to ask me what countries I wanted to visit, I would say Africa and Australia. Africa for the people, elephants and giraffes, and Australia for their accents and their kangaroos. So, you know, what countries are on your bucket list? Alaska. Is that a country? <laughs> it's a pretty big state, and I think you've been there a couple of times. <laughs> yeah, well, I, like, I like the Western Hemisphere. I love North America, that's for sure. But I have been to Africa as well. I've been to South Africa, and it is. It's, it's amazing to, to drive down the road and see a baboon run across the road in front of you or to look out in the field and see a ostrich uh, standing out there. It's just, you know, or to see a giraffe's head sticking up above the trees. It's just a, a sight that you're just so not used to seeing. And You know, it's, it's fun to dream and to set goals and to create your bucket list, but it's more fun when you get to check off that list of something that you've done. And my goodness, that was fun to finally live my dream it was everything and beyond what I hoped it to be, and I I hope to be able to go back many, many times. Kind of the same thing I said when I returned from India, <laughs> and I did get to go back, and I hope to be able to go back there again, too. There's just something about serving others and learning from, from them. I always come back feeling like I gained a lot more than I delivered, that's for sure. And it's cool, because uh, I talked about this on my little episode where I was by myself, and you were over in Kenya, was the fact that my, my reason to go to Africa was on a safari. Uh, I, I was able to go over there and hunt, and hunting is my passion. I, uh, for some reason, am very drawn to that, so if you missed that episode, I explained that in there, uh, the little differences between, I guess, me and what we'd consider normal people, because I don't think <laughs> nobody considers me normal, but uh, it was... Uh, different reasons and 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 your reasons to go to africa and to india 
or to serve and to help people. And, and it's, it's just awesome that you get such a fulfillment out of that and you, and you do it so easily. My passion is people. Yeah, that's for sure. And my journey of doing humanitarian work started back in 2011 when I had the opportunity to go to India with the Global Life Vision Team. And there my life was forever changed. I saw poverty that I couldn't even fathom, even though I was seeing it with my own eyes. The people were happy, they were laughing, they were smiling. It was just another validation that happiness is a choice and happiness comes from within. I learned that flushing toilets is a luxury, not a necessity. Millions of people are very content and happy without the convenience of flushing just, toilets. Just a sec here, just a sec. We, we go camping a lot and you... Uh... Oh. You don't really necessarily like camping. The the toilets I, in the mountains are just not as pleasant really as the toilets like, at the house. I really do like camping. You do, I know. <laughs> I learned that smiles and hugs are understood in any language. I, I do like that language. <laughs> you know, when the opportunity presented itself to go to Kenya, I began saving my money to make my lifelong dream to go to Africa become a reality. And it finally happened and I was able to check that off my list. So just tell me a little bit about this. So you went over there with a bunch of people. How many people were in your group? So there were 14 women and three teenagers. Well, actually one teenager, a 14-year-old and two 10-year-olds. And then our two men, drivers, they were Maasai warriors, that were our drivers and guides. And I've met, uh, yeah, I've, I've not met David, but I've met Moses. And great guy. Uh, he was a super nice guy. Uh, his, he's just kind of dedicating his life to uh, trying to help his people. And, and it's kind of cool what he does. And, and he goes around wearing his Maasai warrior outfit, and it's, it's just cool. It, it's cool to, to see that part of Africa. Oh, and so. I loved that, visiting the Mara and seeing all the, the Maasai. They weren't dressed up for the tourists. There aren't tourists that go through, <laughs> through the Mara. That's their everyday dress. You know, one of my very favorite experiences was going into the villages and meeting the families that we had fundraised for. Most of them were widowed mothers struggling to provide food for their family and unable to send their children to school. And only weeks earlier, they were just a photo on my, my computer screen. And now they were real people standing right in front of me. It was pretty cool. You know, and their, their smiles and hugs were priceless when a cow or goat was delivered to them. And if they had daughters, then we would give them days for girls' kits and show them how to use them so when they were menstruating, they could continue going to school. But the, the thing that's cool about this is, is you went over there to help them, and you came home with buckets of jewelry. And so you were trying to give them a gift. You guys are, are trying to raise money to help these families have a cow or a goat or chickens. And and the fact is that you're also doing uh, what's the center called that you're they were working on? Yeah, a cultural center. A cultural center. Um, anyway, so they're working on this center, trying to get this built for them. But yet, you came back with many many gifts. They would take off these beautiful hand beaded necklaces. They would take them off of themselves and put them over your your neck, and they'd take off their beautiful bracelets and put them on your wrists and then they'd hug you and kiss you on both sides of the cheek. And many of the villages told us that we were the first white Americans to ever come to their village. So that was pretty cool. Wow. Wow. Did you shed a tear? 
Sure did. <laughs> many, many tears. So let me tell you a little bit about 100 Humanitarians. Their mission statement is to mentor families globally through education and entrepreneurship in an effort to eliminate physical, mental, spiritual, and emotional poverty while preserving culture and traditions. My friend Heidi Totten, who founded that organization, her, her focus right now is to build a cultural center with guest houses right on the Mara to support ongoing humanitarian efforts in Kenya. And as Heidi shared her vision with the Maasai people, the pieces just began to fall together and five acres were donated to build this cultural center. The fence going around these five acres was completed several weeks before we, we got there. And the next step is to dig a well on the property to provide water not only for the cultural center, but also for the Maasai community. You know, right now they're having a, a drought. It hasn't hadn't rained for months and months. And our first night there on the on the Mara, it rained. And the people were so excited, like they were so sure that we had brought the rain, that that was a sign that we were blessing them and their community. Wow. So... You had this amazing experience with all these wonderful people, and uh, and and I saw the pictures. I mean, these guys can jump. They, tell us about okay. this jumping. What is oh, that about? The higher you can jump, the more awesome you are. <laughs> and, and I don't know how they do it. I mean, it's like they have they're jumping on a pogo stick, but they're they're not. They can jump so high, just standing in place, and they just jump. <laughs> they'll be they'll be singing and dancing and their dancing is just kind of a bend the bend the knees back up and kind of bobbing their heads it's pretty cool to watch and then two three or four of them will, will step in front of everyone and then just start this jumping competition and then they'll step back and someone else will join in and it's pretty awesome thing to watch and I didn't get to see any video of it, but I saw the the still shots of it when they were at, at the highest point in their jump, and their arms are down. They're not like reaching for anything or, ah. or, or doing anything very athletic looking. As far they're just like this stick figure in the middle of the air. It's amazing that they mm -hmm. can jump that high. Right, exactly. Even watching it, you're just wondering how they're doing that. It's like they're on a trampoline, but they're but they're not. Yeah, amazing. So tell me uh, about. The things that I love. I mean, I love people. Don't get me wrong. You know, I'm the last person to walk out of any building when there's somebody there still to talk to. I'm there to talk to them. But what about these animals? Um, you know that I absolutely just love uh, the animals of Africa. Yeah, there were animals everywhere. And that made me think of you a lot. <laughs> but we did spend a day on safari. Because I'm an animal? <laughs> You're an animal and you love animals. Exactly. There you go. So we did spend a day on safari, and Kenya is number one for safari, for animals. And I had my little notebook with me, and every time we saw a different species, I would write the name of the animal down. And if I hadn't have done that, I would have come away just saying, oh, we saw a lot of animals. But because I wrote down animal by animal, we saw 29 different species of animals. And uh, and you had to have been a little bit shocked when I sat there and, and called them out and, and said what they were. Oh, as I showed I, you the pictures. Yeah. yeah, you knew what every animal was. I was very impressed. And so uh, basically, when she keeps saying safari, that always throws me for a loop because a safari to me has always been going hunting in Africa. 
but the to safari there is to just take photos and and just to go look at the animals and so uh, Becky was able to see things that I didn't see when I was there. Uh, she saw lions and she saw cheetahs. Uh, and then she saw elephants and she saw giraffes. Uh, she saw eland and, and uh, kudu and wildebeest and oh, you name it. You saw it. Yeah, we got up close and personal. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, we they stayed were... far enough away to keep a safe distance, but we were pretty close. Yeah. So Hi- was, hippos and crocodiles. Oh, my gosh. Yes. It was just amazing the things you saw. <laughs> we did. You know, in, in preparation in, to going to Kenya, we raised money for business boxes for families. And let me explain what a business box is. It consists of a cow, a goat, and some chickens. And then, depending on their circumstances and where they live, they either receive garden boxes to raise vegetables or else... We replaced their mud dung hut rooftops of their dung huts, and that is what they live in, and they're they're pretty cool to see. But we replaced their dung hut rooftops with galvanized rooftops, which then enables them to capture and use rainwaters along with preserving the structure of their home. Okay, just a sec here. To clarify, a lot of our listeners probably think of dung like the dung beetle and things like that that... It's actually a kind of a poop, you know, it that is. it's a like um, a cow pie. So, so clarify that that's not really what they're making their huts. They're out of. making their their huts are a mixture of just the dirt and the cow poop. So it is, and it is that they that's a mixture of that. First, they they built the structure just out of sticks, and then they gather the mud and the dung, the cow poop, mix it together, and they they spread it all over the the sticks, and in the hot sun dries it and it dries like cement but when the when it rains or if it rains a lot then you know that starts to moisten it and and then falls off they have to repair and in a home they said stands for about three years and then it's they just start over and build another one start over and build another but it's kind of ingenious if you think about it if you were to uh like the old adobe and things like that where you would take straw and grass and mix it with mud and and kind of gush it together and chop it up into fibers and, and do that. That's a lot of effort. And they found that the cows will do that for them. They take the grass and they chop it up and and, and, and it comes out in this fiber-like material and it kind of holds it together like a mesh. And so it's actually pretty ingenious that that's the, the product that they use to, to hold everything together. Yeah, it's it's pretty awesome to, to see it and to... To go inside of it, there's there's two bedrooms, and a bedroom consists of a bed. Nothing else would be able to fit in there. The bed is made out of sticks with a cowhide that is stretched across the top of the, the sticks, and that's their mattress. So there's a bedroom, and then in the, in the middle, there's their kitchen. The kitchen is just an area for them to build a fire to, to cook their food, and the other side of the kitchen is another another bed with sticks with a cowhide. And, yeah, it's pretty pretty cool. And it's, it's such a far cry difference from India. You've been on two different things where one is the cow is, is sacred and they don't utilize the cow at all and, and don't do anything with the cow other than let it roam. And, and in Africa, that's that's a way of their That's wealth. a livelihood and their wealth, yes. Yeah. And also a way for them to sleep at night is on that cowhide. Yes, it is. Let me tell you a little bit about the cultural center that they are in the process of fundraising for to begin building 
And the Cultural Center will provide education and protection to the Maasai people, who are one of the most indigenous tribes in the world. Did I say that right? Hope so. I, I, I don't know. It's over my head. <laughs> its goal is to also create a bridge for different communities to learn and inspire one another through educational programs that are funded on love, that are founded on love, trust, and voluntary cooperation. It will also provide a story cafe where the Maasai can research and document their family histories online for future generations. You know, we spent a lot of time on the Mara with the Maasai people. They are just such a giving and friendly people. So, so how many children do uh, most of these families have? We saw a lot of children. Um, just like most most mothers would count out three or four heads and point point to them, and I would would interpret that as as showing me that those are their children. But you know, polygamy is is legal there and practiced there among the Maasai. So it was very common for a man to have several wives and a lot of children, like 15 children was very common from a, from a wow. father. Yeah. Wow. Something else that's very interesting among this is the Maasai warrior. You think of them going out and fighting other groups or, or maybe going out and hunting wild beasts. And, and the truth of it is, is there's no hunting in Kenya. Uh, there's there's no hunting by outside people, and there's no hunting by even the, the native people who live there uh, and, and are members of these tribes. And they do not eat game meat, uh, which surprised me when, uh, when when we were told that by Moses that, you know, that they did not eat game meat. But they did hunt a little bit, and that was mainly just the lions. If, if there was lions that were coming into their village they would protect uh, their village with uh, these spears. And the, and, the, and the men would take these spears and they would go out and, and uh, take care of these wild beasts. And so it's pretty cool. Uh, a lot of tradition there. Yes, a lot of traditions there. Some good and some not so good. We spent a few days in Nairobi, which is the capital of Kenya. And there we, we visited a girl's rescue home, which is a safe house for girls who have run away from their villages to avoid FGM, which is female genital mutilation. Yes, that is something that still goes on today among the Maasai people. And it's, it's against the law, but it's something that is still highly practiced. And also the, the marrying off the early marriage and so these girls, they'll, they'll run away to avoid that. And a woman named Eve Ensler, she founded and opened a safe house for girls back in 2002. What a gift and a blessing this has, has been. These are very, very brave girls who desire a better future, even at, at the risk of sacrificing, of ever being able to, to see their families again. And these girls there range from age 7 to 17, when we arrived there, the girls were in a room singing, and and then they ended with all gathered together in prayer. And then they invited us to come in and sit and visit with them to get to know, know them and to hear their stories. I sat next to a girl who introduced herself as Nasurian, and she told me she was 14 years old and had been there since she was seven. She spoke very good English, and she was confident in sharing her story and she asked me questions about my life and family. And then she asked me if I believed in God. And when I said yes, she asked me if I go to church. 
And I also answered yes. And then this huge smile spread across her face and she grabbed my hand and she escorted me outside. And once outside, she asked if she could sing me two of her favorite hymns, praising God hymns, she said. And they were in her native tongue, Swahili. When she got done singing, she explained to me that this song was thanking God for the beauty that surrounds us. She testified to me that she knew that God was real and that he loved her. And I followed up with my testimony of that same truth. She kept holding my hand and thanking me for coming. And then the other girl that I got to spend a lot of time with, with was only 10 years old and had been in the home for only two months. She had a badly burned face on the side of one side of her face, but I didn't ask her what had happened. She loved flipping through my phone and looking at the pictures that I had taken on the Mara and also looking at the pictures from my home and family. I also met two girls there whose name were Rebecca, and they were very eager to tell me that their short name was Becky like mine. You know, I fought back the tears when it was time to leave. I didn't, I didn't want to leave. I wanted to stay there. It was one of my, the best days. And, oh, and also while we were there, we had, we'd brought the Days for Girls kits for the girls, and we showed them how to use them. And, you know, their smiles didn't leave their faces from the moment we arrived until we were driving away, and they were waving and blowing kisses at us. And, you know, it was just a whole afternoon and experience that I'll never forget. One last example of the simple things bringing much joy was, I took over a bunch of the bubble wands that blow those big, big bubbles. And the kids just lit up, not just the kids, but the teenagers. They had never seen anything like that. And they would just giggle and giggle and run and chase the bubbles and pop them. It was really fun to watch. I think it's awesome that you were able to bundle two weeks of love into 22 minutes. So thanks for sharing that. Thanks for listening to Life in 22 Minutes. If you liked what you heard, Tell your friends about us and please subscribe to us on iTunes and leave a review. Your review will help us to broaden our audience. Until next time, don't wait for things to be perfect. Get out there and live life with courage, humor, and a whole lot of love.